Welcome to It Starts With A Click. I'm Olivia Bossett, fashion photographer and educator, and this is a podcast for fashion photographers looking to build their business on their own terms. Hello, and welcome to the first guest interview episode of this season of the podcast. I'm really excited, as always, because this one is with my friend Fraser, who, if you have seen any of my moving image work or my fashion film work, you will recognize Fraser's name because he and I have worked together on quite a few different projects now, some of which aren't out yet, or at least at the time of recording they're not out yet. They might be out by the time this podcast is out. Who knows? Go and check my Instagram if you want to see. But um, we've been friends for about a year and a half now. And Fraser is a DOP, Director of Photography and Cinema Photographer. Cinema Photographer? Cinema oh my god I'm getting my words tongue-tied cinematographer there you go (laughs) um and he's incredibly talented and he very very kindly came on the show to talk about filmmaking and fashion filmmaking and how to get into moving image what it's like working with a cinematographer what it's like being a DOP um and all kinds of stuff stuff that I hadn't known myself so I'm really excited for you to listen to this one. I think it's going to be really helpful and hopefully give you some ideas of ways that you can elevate your work for your clients and for yourself as well. So I hope you enjoy listening and I will wrap it up at the end of the episode. Hi, Fraser. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Um... Tell everyone about yourself and how you first got into filmmaking. So my name is Fraser and I'm a London-based cinematographer um, from the northeast of Scotland, a little town called Stonehaven. Mm-hmm. Um, I started my career up in Scotland but moved to London in, I think it was January 2018, <laughs> with the idea that being based here would give me access to bigger and better projects more frequently than I'd been doing in Scotland, let's say. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been the DOP on a TV sketch show pilot for the BBC, done a few TV commercials, but most of my work tends to be a sort of diverse mix of branded content. Mm -hmm. So recently, um, I've been working on projects for Amazon Music, Linda McCartney Foods, Breville, um, Carphone Warehouse, Vipe, Ray and Nephew, um, and a few of the big banks like Deutsche mm. Bank, RBS, TSB. Busy guy. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> and alongside all of that, obviously, you and I have been collaborating for something like a year now. Yeah, exactly. Making fashion films together, which has been great. Yeah, it's awesome. And I just want to tell everyone how we met because I think it's quite a good example of you never know when you might meet someone. Um, so I think it was it about, it was just over a year ago and I was putting together an editorial about secondhand fashion and hadn't even considered bringing on someone to do video, honestly, until like the very last minute. And then I think like a week before we were gonna start the shoot, I went on to the dots and shared on the public thing that I was looking for someone to do some video and you saw that and got in touch and here we are a year and a half later still making short fashion films 
Yeah, that's right. That's right. I remember seeing your post and um, obviously I think I think you maybe shared a mood board with it or mm. maybe just your portfolio. Yeah. And I was drawn to your style and yeah, reached out and then we went ahead and obviously ever <laughs> since then, what have we done now, like four or five things together? I think we've done, yeah, we've done five now because nice. there's, is it five? Yeah, it must be four or five. So, yeah. There's definitely two that haven't been released yet. One we literally did last weekend at the time of recording. So it's it's not even, it's just been birthed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and more to come. Yeah, more to come. We've got lots of plans, which is awesome. Um, so yeah, don't be afraid to like randomly look out for people and bring them on board because you never know where it might lead. Um, so for people like me, because I'm going to be completely honest, I, I asked you this a couple of weeks ago because I, you corrected me basically by, I was calling you a videographer and that was wrong and you are a cinematographer. Can you explain to people who are like me, who might be a bit, um, silly and don't know the difference, what the difference is? Yeah, so it's tricky. I mean, there's a little bit of snobbery around it and it's definitely not something that I kind of intend whenever I whenever I sort of define myself. Um, and there's a lot of crossover, especially mm. on like smaller scale projects, like things like um, fashion films or interviews or corporate videos, for mm-hmm. example. Um, but basically, a videographer would tend to be more of a generalist mm-hmm. who would be responsible of like for all the aspects of pre-production then then they would direct on set operate the camera do some lighting do some sound and then handle the edit and all of the post-production themselves Mm -hmm. so what you might tend to find is that a lot of people will start out doing something like this as a videographer for example and then they'll maybe find their sort of niche within the sort of motion filmmaking world whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. um, and they'll become a director they'll become a cinematographer or an editor mm-hmm. as they grow um, <clears throat> so a cinematographer is just a bit more of a specialist really they are responsible for the image mm-hmm. um, you tend to work alongside a director and an expanded team of creatives and technicians with your focus narrowed down more into like the camera and lighting side of things yeah. and um, you tend to work more in narrative work like features short films mm-hmm. um, or tv commercials documentary i think historically probably it would have tended to be more like longer form mm-hmm. projects but now obviously as more and more businesses are investing like a lot of money into creating videos for for social yeah um, everyone wants to have that like sort of like premium quality so yeah. you find a lot of cinematographers especially young cinematographers will be working in shorter form video and social media that sort of thing mm. um, so on smaller projects um, a cinematographer might be working alongside the director and have a camera assistant or a gaffer mm-hmm. um, and as the scale increases obviously you can have like huge teams like camera and lighting and grip teams with like tens or even hundreds of people contributing so yeah. that's kind of the difference I think mm-hmm. no it makes sense um, yeah it's, it just it was it's an interesting thing to be aware of because like it's it's the same when some clients come to me and they say oh can you can you do all the retouching and I'm like well actually retouching is a completely separate skill it's a completely yeah. separate job and like I can do the minimum and I can do basics but I wouldn't ever call myself a retoucher 
So it's similar in that, you know, you work with an editor and then we've got the colorist and if we had sound, there'd be a sound technician and all those kinds of things because all these parts that make the film require such different skills. Absolutely. So true. Very, very, very true. So basically, like, I mean, I think when I was doing my my master's, that Mm. was when I kind of had this sort of awakening to the power of collaboration, Mm -hmm. like how much you can really exponentially increase the sort of quality of output of your your work by working with as many sort of talented people as you can with each person like really bringing their own um, specific skill set to a project Um, so obviously you and I we work with um, Alicia who Mm -hmm. does the the editing for us and Marty who does the color grading Mm -hmm. and um, although I can do both of those things to to an extent, let's say, and I have to know about those things, um, it's just so beneficial to bring those extra um, those extra people on board and, yeah. and have them, yeah, bring their bring their their talents to the to the piece. Yeah, it definitely. Like I, I think everyone who niches down <clears throat> and like decides they're going to do something specifically when you start giving tasks away to people who are actually focused on that solely and who are specializing in one thing, like a stylist, for example, the work does improve massively. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you'll know yourself how much, how many um, balls you're juggling at one time in terms of like producing and then shooting a project. So I think especially as we say, as the scale of the project increases, Mm -hmm. you just have no choice. You really need to, to, to delegate yeah and um i think one of the things that that i prefer to do is plan and shoot a project Mm -hmm. and then hand it over to other people so i can then start working on the next project that's really important to me yeah i'm the same i don't want to have to sit in my front of my computer for too long working on something that's already been created i want to create it and then yeah move on from that to create the next thing because i just love making something new and once it's made i'm a bit bored of it already (laughs) So relatable, so relatable. <laughs> um, we didn't actually touch on why filmmaking, because I know you studied photography to start with, so why did you end up going into filmmaking? So I think, I mean, it's hard to think back now, obviously, but I think it was probably cinema trips with my dad as a kid mm-hmm. that first got me into movies. I mean, everyone's into movies. I don't think anyone doesn't like films. Um, and... I was really into music videos and advertising as well when I was mm-hmm. a teenager. Like I watched a lot of TV, um, and that was kind of like in my head, but it wasn't like it was something I thought of pursuing. Mm-hmm. And even with photography, photography, it was it was not really something that was in my head that I thought could be a career at an early age. Mm-hmm. I'd been like playing around with point and shoot cameras that my mom and dad had, and my grand had given me a Polaroid camera one Christmas. Mm-hmm. And I used to shoot a lot of disposable cameras, but mm-hmm. like just like cut candid nonsense of my friends, really. Yeah. And um, it definitely wasn't like a serious pursuit for me. I think possibly because there was like where I'm from in the northeast of Scotland, it's not exactly a creative hub. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know anyone that had like done anything in those kind of industries. Um, so yeah, after high school, I went and did um, a couple of years of a BSc. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, scraping by doing that. But I'd started to take much more of a serious interest in, like, 
music, mm-hmm. arts, culture. While I was at uni, I was buying like stacks of magazines every mm-hmm. month from like The Face, Dazed and Confused, yeah. NME, mm-hmm. buying and watching loads of films, and going to a lot of concerts, all when I should have been studying, but I had no interest <laughs> in that. Um, and I just sort of all of a sudden decided I'm going to like investigate this. I'm going to get a camera. I'm going to do a short course. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just kind of like really found it to be like a passion. Yeah. Um, so I did a darkroom short course first, which was really amazing. Such, such a great way to start. Mm, I wish I'd done that. Yeah, it was, it was really cool. I mean, like it's it, it's such a like and I would I would encourage anyone, any photographer to um, try that. Like this, the feeling of being in a dark room is really quite special. Yeah. Um, the feeling of like working the enlarger and then. Mm. I um, did it for a week at uni. We only had one yeah. week of it, and it was good. But I definitely want to do it more, and that's one of the things, like post pandemic, that I'm definitely planning on doing and taking a proper course on going yeah, and spending like a couple of weeks in a dark room. I think even it's possible to set up like a little home setup if yeah. you have the space. Um, a lot of people do it in their bathrooms and stuff, which yeah, is never I... something I've got into, but um, <laughs> I could totally yeah, do more that. power to those people who do that. It's definitely a very cool thing to do. <laughs> um, yeah, so after the short course, short course, I like went on to another BA mm-hmm. in photography. Um, during that, my course leader introduced me to the idea of cinematography and film theory because we had to do this um, short essay about a film of our choice. Mm-hmm. And from then on, like I'd been watching a lot of films, but that was the moment that I sort of clicked and started to pay attention to mm-hmm. things like what is the mood of the lighting? How's mm-hmm. the camera moving? How's the shot framed? Mm-hmm. And how are these things driving emotion in the viewer? Like that suddenly became like really, really interesting to me. Yeah. Um, but like still I wasn't I wasn't making films sure I graduated as a photographer and I was shooting when I graduated I was shooting a mix of e-com and music stuff mm-hmm. for a few years and then there's this thing um that happened in filmmaking which is called the DSLR revolution <laughs> which was basically just when like Canon and Nikon brought out DSLRs yeah. with like decent video functionality um which was super exciting to a lot of people at the time because like I think the barrier for entry in terms of filmmaking had been really high yeah like the kit was like tens of thousands of pounds which I mean obviously you still get kit that is that expensive that's why we rent a lot of things yeah but I mean it allowed us to to start to experiment you know and then a few of my music clients had started to ask me like I'd be I'd be shooting like band portraits let's say Mm -hmm. and the artist would say oh, can you also shoot a music video for me? (laughs) And I had no idea, like, how or what to do, but I'd be like, sure, like, (laughs) I'll figure it out. And, yeah, I started to do that. Like, I started to make a few music videos. And the reaction I was getting to those was positive, and the process was fun. Mm -hmm. Like, even at that early stage, I'd started to, um, like, my first music video, which is, like, approximately, I think, eight years old today, um, I just got a, a Facebook memory of like it first being out, so that was quite funny. Cute. Um, but yeah, so um, I did the music video thing for maybe a couple of years alongside my stills work, and I'd always like had the idea in my head that I would do a master's at some yeah. stage. It was part of the vague life plan that I had. <laughs> it was never never written down anywhere, but 
Um, yeah, I like the idea of, of doing a master's. So I investigated an ME film course, which yeah. was in Edinburgh, and applied. And on the application, you had to choose a specialism. Mm. And I mean, as a photographer, concepts and art direction had never really been my my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I always felt like I, I was quite weak on those on those things. I, I like to work on other people's ideas. So, okay. um, the skill set that was required by a cinematographer felt much more in line with what had interested me. So, so that was basically why I chose to go down that route. Okay. And then it was really like on the course that I I sort of was like, oh wow, I've really picked something that's that's um that's amazing here. Like it, it just was. Like honestly, one of the best years of my life. I think oh. I made something like twenty shorts in in that one year. Yeah. Um, as a director of photography or DOP is the abbreviation of that. Yeah, I was gonna get onto that in a sec. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, like I said a few minutes ago, um, that was when like I had this kind of awakening to the power of collaboration. I think I'd been quite a um quite reserved with my work like yeah. I didn't like to tell people what I was doing I would kind of like work away on things yeah I think like in we're, solitude we're all inclined to start off that way I, th- I speak to mm. so many um people who are just starting out who are like you know teenagers or in their early 20s and they're terrified of of getting in touch with other people and asking them to work with them and it, it is scary um and I was certainly in that position as well but I think you just thrive when you've got people around you who are a like-minded and have the same sort of you're interested in the same things you're um you've got the same vision for something and when you fuse everyone's ideas together that's when the really good stuff happens so true it's amazing you just start to push each other forward and, mm-hmm. and like I mean there's obviously doing those first projects together but when you really start to develop long-term collaborative relationships with people it's yeah, it's it's really amazing. Um, I, I deeply regret actually not like figuring that out earlier. Mm. But it takes everyone time, you know. Everyone goes at their own pace, and yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one thing that I try and encourage everyone to to like whenever I talk to um, students or whatever yeah. people who email me and ask questions. I say, um, could you collaborate on this? Do you want to bring someone else to help you? You know, it's yeah. it's going to help you a lot to do that. Mm-hmm, 100%. And you always are met with that apprehension. People are always a bit uncertain. But Ooh, who's going to want to work with me? <laughs> I know, yeah. But there's like you always find people who are at your at your level, and yeah. I think that's really important as well. Like to find people who, because obviously we're all seeing the work of people who are like a tier or two tiers above us in the yeah. industry. But there are also people who are at your level who are like fighting to make their way, as yeah. well as people who are just starting out. So and there's those always... people who are two to three tiers above you right now were once where you are. Absolutely, mm. absolutely, yeah. So um, yeah, tell us what a DOP is—a director of photography—because this is something that we see in like credits of films all the time, and it's not always clear what that is. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is like, again, a kind of like a little tricky sort of um, thing to define, but basically it's the, like a DOP or a director of photography is the sort of top of the ladder job title for a cinematographer. Yeah. Um, so it's the title that's given to someone who's basically managing or co-managing the image creation in a project from yeah. pre-production into post, as well as directing like camera and lighting crew mm-hmm. on set, usually in um narrative work commercials or documentaries so it it would more 
tend to be on a sort of larger scale. Yeah. But I think the confusion now comes from the way like people are credited on small projects sure. or what people are looking for when they're hiring. So sometimes I'm credited as a DOP on like a really small shoot when I've just turned up <laughs> at the last minute and like lit it, shot it and left. Yeah. And historic there was there was another like job title for that. Um mm which was a lighting camera operator, which I yeah. feel is quite a good fit. Yeah. But ultimately, if people aren't like posting that job title when they're looking for the people to hire, like it's just pointless, you know, it's yeah. just like a bit outdated. Um, but I mean, like I say, it's kind of, it can be a little bit all over the place and you have directors who do OPs as well. So some yeah. people will take on both roles on the same project. Mm-hmm. Even at the very, very top end of like Hollywood, there's a, um, there's a director called Reed Morano, mm-hmm. who was her own DOP on a, her, um, I think it was her debut feature film, wow. which is called Meadowland. Okay. A really, really cool film worth checking out. Um, with, it's got um, Olivia Wilde oh, and yeah. um, Elizabeth Moss mm-hmm. in it. Two really, really great actresses. Cool. Um, but I feel yeah, like, like you'd for know, sure. Like all the cool artsy films that I've never seen. I mean, like, I definitely have an interest in kind of, like, art house cinema and foreign films and mm-hmm. all sorts, but I also like Marvel and <laughs> Netflix, you know, like, it's it's really, like, I think as creatives, it's important for us to have, like, diverse taste. I mean, you definitely. like what you like, but I think even if you don't necessarily love something, I think you have to really be open to everything that's out there. Mm. And even if you don't necessarily like watch something and and love it you can learn something from like from from seeing it you know yeah. from looking at the way it's been done 100 percent. we watched a movie a couple of weeks ago which was out on netflix called the dig i don't know if oh yeah you saw it. yeah I've, I've seen it yeah. as in like i've seen all the um promo but i've not actually watched the film yet but it looks amazing it's beautiful and like as the story was good too but i just ended up just basically paying super close attention to all the shots because every yeah, single yeah. frame was you could like you could screenshot it or take a photo of the screen and it would make an incredible photograph so i was really enjoying that and since working with you i've definitely been paying more attention to moving image and just asking myself little things like oh how was that framed or how did they light that and oh my god am I learning so much about lighting with working with you as well (laughs) that's great that's great to hear I mean one of the best like ways for anyone to learn like filmmaking is just to watch films I mean like obviously like formal education is one thing and getting out and doing it is is important Mm. but you can pick up so many things from just like What's your favorite film? And if it's cinematography or editing you're interest, interested in, mm. like turn the sound off. Like don't even pay attention to, mm. to what's being said or the, or the music and just notice how the sequences are built. Like mm-hmm. how are the shots lit? Are they choosing to frame it in like a really specific way? Like let's say, for example, as a portrait with a lot of headroom mm. or like what sort of rules of composition are they are they following? It's, it's really like there's a lot out there, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a really vast kind of craft yeah and i i love going down a youtube hole and just finding Mm. all the random behind the scenes things of shoots and movies because i can you can kind of see 
little clips of where the light was or how what the kind of modifiers they had going on and I find that really interesting just to even just see a glimpse of it and you're like wow okay it's it looks so natural and it looks so normal and yet you step back and you can see how much kit there was behind most scenes yeah for sure I mean uh, in terms of feature films like the amount of money that's spent on productions is just mind-blowing you know like they, and they really do need a lot of um you need a lot of control in these kind of like circumstances mm-hmm. like you can't you can't rely on like the sun for example because the sun moves and you need continuity in film so yeah. you need to know like everything is very tightly and specifically planned yeah no it's, it's fascinating um but what... instagram's amazing for that too by the way oh, really? um, you find you I'll, I'll recommend you some i might give you some um some of my favorite sort of behind the scenes channels for yeah, your show sure. notes or whatever um yeah. but yeah like every day I, I see like things and i end up saving them to mm. like a little instagram folder of like like how is like ju- even just like five minutes before we jumped on this call i saw um a cinematographer from the us that i follow who'd made a really simple car rig mm. so he could film with his camera rigged to the sort of side of a car which usually you would associate with um you would associate with like quite high-end um grip equipment yeah. and having like really heavy duty kind of stuff involved but i mean now that cameras are getting smaller like really cinematic cameras yeah. like they can be like super super tiny he he just built this really simple rig and i was like oh wow that's going to be helpful so yeah i just save cool. all this stuff and build up this archive but yeah there's so much out there it's, so it's like much. one of the things that i think we're really really lucky yeah. about as creatives now that people are so giving mm-hmm. like people love to share like what they're doing and and educate others and i think yeah. that's a real blessing i mean that wasn't around when like i mean i only started out my career like something like 10 years ago but um, it was so hard to come by like yeah. behind the scenes the internet has only been around yeah, for such a yeah. short amount of time like when even when i first started learning photography i don't actually remember how i learned i think it was just on reading forums like mm-hmm. that was yeah. literally what i think i did um but th- with that in mind like what would you say are the most important skills that a cinematographer should have i think the basic kind of requirements um probably to have an understanding of lighting Mm -hmm. framing composition and camera movement lens filtration choices Mm -hmm. depth of field color science exposure Mm -hmm. um so the technical side is quite important yeah um and then obviously like the personal kind of side of things i think one of the most important things for me is just that you have to be the best possible kind of partner in crime to your director (laughs) um to be able to support them, Mm -hmm. help them thrive and really like, I feel like my role in a project is to try and elevate the director's ideas. Like a lot of, a lot of directors come from a place where they can actually shoot themselves. Yeah. Um, so it's almost like, well, if I'm going to be here, (laughs) I'm going to do it as, as much better than you as I can. And I'm going to try and offer things to help make the project better. Um, which I can so sometimes... vouch that you do that. <laughs> oh, thank you. You're very kind. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, sometimes it means like just going the extra mile in terms of testing. Like we've been talking about a project where I'm going to figure out some lighting setups yeah. and have some um, like diagrams ready. So that when we go into the studio on the day, we're, we're a bit more ready um, to save 
Yeah, to maximize the shooting time, basically, because, mm-hmm. I mean, it's great to be in a studio and to be able to, to mess around with lighting, but ultimately you want to go there and maximize the the shooting time. You know, yeah. if, if you're spending half the day lighting, then you're only getting um, half of the time with the model. So 100%. Yeah, and, so and when you not so good when you've got a studio and you've only got like eight hours, you've got to use that eight hours very wisely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, and, and there's no reason why not to, you know, like because mm-hmm. I mean we can we can test things at a very small scale with with bits and pieces at home, yeah. or like you can just like set up a camera and, and like light yourself kind of thing if yeah. you've got like a monitor or or like or an even apple like, me. like I did the other day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was great. I loved seeing that, um, but. Yeah, it's um, those are kind of the things that are important to me. I think, like as as well, you probably need to be quite a relaxed person. Yeah. Um, because sets can be stressful. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just the common kind of rational problem solver. Never mm-hmm. be too flustered by anything yeah. that kind of throws you on or a shoot day. You, or if you are going to get flustered, just like pretend you're not. <laughs> yeah. Take that deep breath. Yeah. <laughs> Take a deep breath and just crack on. That usually sort of like helps me out if I feel like things are getting a little bit overwhelming, which they obviously can do. There are definitely mm-hmm. moments. Um, I'm sure we've all had them where we're like, oh, wow, I feel a little bit out of my depth here. Yeah, but, oh, all the time. Yeah. It happens all the time. So to sort of talking of jobs, how mm-hmm. do you find your work and get hired? So I guess the majority of my, my, um, my income would come through been hired by production companies yeah um which i'm trying to move a little bit beyond this but i've relied quite a lot on being recommended for work in the past which is the best way i mean i still i still think that is the most useful way of getting work for sure yeah yeah i think we were actually talking about it on our last shoot together when we had a little down moment maybe it was over lunch or something we Mm. were all just discussing how important it is to be able to trust your collaborators yeah so to have that recommendation is just really, really so valuable. It's like mm-hmm. skipping a step. Which like, goes to prove the point of testing and collaborating yeah. even more. Yeah. So I, I do spend a lot of time testing and meeting um, directors and producers. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll look up companies whose work I like and like individuals whose work I like and pitch myself to them, ask if they want to have a chat. And usually it's more just like to establish a relationship yeah it's not like a case of being like i'm here and i want to work tomorrow have you got a job for me kind of thing it's like let's see if we let's see if we can click let's see if we can develop a relationship or maybe we want to test something together definitely um and and then you can then you can um you can establish that trust between each other and you can figure out if you if you click yeah and and yeah it's being in it for the long haul it's like not expecting just because you've emailed someone once or spoken to someone once that you're going to automatically get hired like there have been so many times where I've known someone this is a perfect example I've there's a producer down in Cornwall that I knew for years like I'm talking about I think about five years before she eventually had something she could hire me for because there was just nothing that was aligned with me until that point and then all of a sudden there was something and we got to work together but I had to keep in touch and like stay front of mind so you do need to put an effort in and just keep that relationship going yeah I think that's really important that like I mean and and I'm sure you have it as well you'll have people who are 
emailing you looking for opportunities to work with yeah. you like whether it's assistants or oh, or stylists yeah. or whatever <laughs> and you'll know yourself how important it is for them to keep in touch with you because yeah. if if one person's emailed you let's say let's say they emailed you two weeks ago mm-hmm. but then someone else emailed you today and you suddenly have this kind of like thing in your head that you might need someone for yeah. it's almost like whoever's the most recent person that's talked to you yeah. is the first person you're going to think of totally but I mean, then obviously you don't want to be emailing people like every day saying, I'm here, I'm here. <laughs> it's like, I think there's, there's like an important way to find like a subtlety to it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like for me, it's just about personal relationships. You know, like if you take an interest in, in what other people are doing, like, I mean, I think the reason most of us do what we do is because we're fans of the totally. medium. So like, it's one of the things I like most about Instagram is I feel like it's quite like you just like you get the opportunity to celebrate other people's work. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, one of the best ways to kind of keep in touch with the people who I would like to work with in the future is just to sort of like see what they're doing um, on their Instagram or LinkedIn yeah. or whatever social channels or website. And then just whenever you've seen something that you like yeah. really like or admire, ask them a question about it. Or just give them a compliment about it you know yeah. i think that's that's one of the things that i try to mm-hmm. try to do i'm finding linkedin i think we've talked about this but i'm finding linkedin to be really really good for this specifically like relationship building because mm. it's i think it's less noisy and yeah it's less pretentious doesn't feel like the right word but it's less show-offy it's a little bit yeah. more like we you share your work because there's a lot of people sharing their work on there, me included. Um, but it's much more point of fact. I think that's just the best way I can put it. Um, yeah. And it's a really great way of connecting with people who are specifically in that industry. And also the way that the LinkedIn algorithm seems to work is that it definitely does a better job of recommending people who you actually are interested in seeing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think you were telling me um, how easily you've been able to identify people with actual, let's say, job titles of interest. Yeah. Whereas I think on Instagram, like you mentioned the word noisy, and it, it is very, very noisy. There's a lot being posted there. Um, and it's very much kind of like best self. Yeah. Kind of like a best self, kind of like yeah. here's the, like, here's the one day of the, of the year that I'm doing this absolutely amazing thing seems to sort of like go to the forefront. Yes. Um, but yeah, like you say, LinkedIn, I think it's just a little bit more because I think most people, ha- you have to say a bit more. Yes. Um, so it's a bit easier to, I don't know if it's like see through what the, what the, I don't want you, I don't want to use this word, but like there's a bit of fakery. Yeah. Um, on Instagram but yeah I still love it you know like, I love I still, it too like I, I still really enjoy my time on, on there yeah I'm on Instagram more than anything and I definitely mm. like but I've actually had to get to a point now where the, if there are people that I really want to keep tabs on or like see what they're doing or keep an eye on their work because I'm particularly interested in either one day working with or for them or I just really admire what they're doing I now have notifications turned on um, mm. for certain people and I'll get a little notification 
prompting me that they've posted and that's been really helpful for me and what I'm noticing is that not only does it help with like keeping tabs on what people are doing but it's now also training the algorithm to actually show me people who I'm interested in seeing and not just my friends or other photographers who I am automatically drawn to because I'm interested in their work and I'd rather be looking on Instagram at people like producers or mm. art directors or people who are actually going to potentially work with me than always being shown the work of other photographers, which is yeah. wonderful and inspiring. But if I'm going to use Instagram as a work tool, which for me it mostly is, I don't want to waste my time looking at random stuff that isn't important. Yeah, yeah. I think there was a moment where I actually felt like I had quite a poor relationship with Instagram. Mm. And it was because I was like, I was following too many people that were like, let's say the absolute elite level of cinematography. Yeah. And I was just looking at their stuff like, wow, that's so far away from what I'm <laughs> doing right now. Yeah. That I just became, it was, it was all I was seeing. Mm -hmm. And I had to take a step back and be like, wait a minute, almost going back to what we were saying earlier about, you have to find the people that are, I mean, it's okay to have those kind of heroes and those people that are like, levels above you but i think it's more important to be seeing the work of your peers yeah. like the people that are really sort of in line with you sort of similar stages yeah um but yeah i think with social media it's everyone has their own kind of like way of of creating a, a sort of comfortable way of using it yeah um and i mean for me it's not like like i know i know like Olivia, you you create a lot of content for um, social media. That's not really the kind of like approach I take. Yeah. But like, I think there's room for both. Like, Definitely. S s for some people, it's like you just want to go on and interact with the content people are making, and then share your work. Yeah. But then for other people, it's it's an important part of their let's say marketing strategy to actually yeah. do things specifically for. Yeah. Um, the platforms, but I don't think everyone has to kind of adhere to that. No. I think it's great for sure, but like I don't think everyone has to feel that pressure. And I think Absolutely some people not. do. Yeah. Some people feel pressured and they're like, "Oh, I've got to make um, a few Instagram posts this week." It's like if 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 you don't want to figure out another way to to use the platform, yeah. you don't have to, to to post yourself. You know. I think it's so true that there is there is no right or wrong way. The the main reason that I create as much content as I do is because I enjoy creating content and I'm someone who wants to make stuff all the time and yeah. not just photographically like I enjoy coming up with random ideas for like this podcast like this is something that I, mm. I love I enjoy doing because it's another creative avenue um, yeah. um, but you know there are some of the most incredible creatives and talented people that I admire hardly use Instagram and they yeah. only post very occasionally when they have something really, really amazing they need to share. And that's yeah. it. And that's great. And it works. Mm -hmm. and, but yeah. they focus probably a lot more on on outreach and developing those personal relationships than maybe hoping to be found or discovered on the internet. Yeah. And yeah. I think, it, like, you're saying that you enjoy it. I think that shows in what you do. Mm. Like, you can tell if a person is creating content for let's just say instagram because they enjoy it yeah 
And you can tell when people are just like, oh, I have to post something, <laughs> so I'll do this. Well, yeah. you can tell when I'm not in the mood because I disappear. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Which is obviously also smart as well. I think it's, it's smart for people to take breaks now and then. Definitely. And... I think you've been, you've been talking about quite recently how... Um, I think you were saying something along the lines of you felt like you were finding too many references from just yeah. like what was being shown to you on any given like week or month. Yeah. So to sort of switch off from that and look elsewhere. Yeah. Um, which I thought was really was really smart because I mean there's such a huge like creative and artistic world out there. I mean go to, like I mean it's I know it's not the moment for this but to go to a gallery and see some yeah some paintings there or, or yeah. photography there and um to pick up a book yeah or a magazine like rather than just seeing what's like bang on trend yeah um Super yeah important. it's, it's going to benefit everyone isn't it 100 percent. i mean i just i did just create a hope that oh there's the ambulance the, the funny ambulance <laughs> I'm talking about. um i just created a whole course about this like storytelling and where to find your ideas because it's something i've become really really passionate about because it when i started looking elsewhere and mainly within myself for ideas and what I'm personally ins inspired by and interested in my work improved vastly because I wasn't being influenced by what I thought people wanted to see anymore and I was just creating what I wanted to see yeah. within reason like you yeah. know there is you still have to appeal to potential clients and always be thinking about you know what would a client want to see in my portfolio that would make them want to hire me but yeah I've equally found that by just staying true to what I'm interested in and what I want to create almost automatically ends up being what the work my dream clients would want to hire me for anyway because my dream clients and my inspirations go hand in hand. Um, so it's a really interesting topic and yeah, if anyone's feeling a bit creatively blocked, I definitely would not recommend using Instagram as the place to go and get the inspiration yeah i agree like for me personally there's so much power in like i mean as i say i started out as a photographer probably like when i started studying it was maybe even like 15 years ago or something mm -hmm. so i've accumulated a lot of photography books like hardbacks yeah and whenever i feel like i just kind of like pick up one of those like and i've always felt like that's really a great way to 100%. to sort of give myself a little spark yeah and I'm, inspiration I'm or creativity. a magazine fanatic like that's nice. where all of my drive and creativity started from when I was a young preteen and yeah. I'm still as obsessed with magazines as I was then like I'm subscribed to most of them they come in the post every month and it's like Christmas every month because I get them and then all I want to do is sit and read them and that's where I get a lot of my inspiration and get my ideas but also keep tabs on who's making what and what producer worked on that shoot and who's the makeup artist for that job and and what are the trends upcoming so it's it's partly work but partly just loads of fun <laughs> yeah that's really cool hmm. I, I used to be huge on buying magazines but it's been a long time now maybe it's more because I've switched into um pure motion kind of thing but maybe but maybe like, you should go and grab one i get i i recommend it because you'll probably find that it's a really nice way of of switching off as well yeah yeah for sure i mean i used to love to to read the articles as well i mean especially mm. in things like dazed yeah. um 
yeah, that was a big thing for me back in the day. Like, there's obviously like there's the fashion side of things, but there's so much um, yeah. culture 100%. in there as well, which yeah. is really amazing. Yeah. So if anyone's listening and they haven't bought a magazine in a while, a go do it for your own good, but b support the print world because it's dying. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it's it's definitely a, a, an industry like a sector of the industry that needs support as well yeah. and deserves support. Yeah. I mean, um, I use the word dying. That's wrong. It's not actually ever going to die because there will always yeah, be yeah. a demand for physical objects. I think, um, especially you know, we've all got screen fatigue pandemic has made that so much worse so um i think that hopefully magazines will see a little bit tiny bit of a resurgence there's definitely an increase in niche magazines more than anything um which is yeah awesome. that has to be true mm, it is oh it's, it's like people true. say about people always talk about oh film is dying like in terms of like celluloid film oh yeah but it's just not true i mean no. like obviously it went from being like the the main medium and then people switched to digital mm -hmm. but there's still a place for that and although like a lot of those companies like kodak went through some pretty painful moments and had yeah. to restructure like it's now like bigger than ever i think yeah it's just also um, more expensive than ever <laughs> yeah yeah we know that very well right <laughs> we do oh dear um i was gonna ask you a question which is what would you say it's important for photographers to know or keep in mind when they're reaching out to someone like you, a cinematographer, a videographer, who they want to collaborate with the same way that I did? I think it's valuable to, just to remember that ultimately we share a lot of the same skills and responsibilities. Mm -hmm. um, I know I was saying that when I was starting out, I was definitely apprehensive about that idea of collaboration. And I definitely think um, a lot of people are similar mm -hmm. um, because they feel inferior, not, knowledge, not knowledgeable enough. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, I think the people that do what we do tend to be quite friendly yeah. for the most part and very generous with their knowledge. So. Definitely. I think it's just you just have to go for it um, if you're clearing your mind of what you would like to achieve um, like if you want to bring a let's say a cinematographer or videographer onto a project that you you're shooting um, just just know what what you would like them to to do with you yeah. like create a brief I mean I know we're all used to responding to briefs um, so create a brief for the person you want to work with and say this is what I have in mind uh, here's a reference or two or a mood board yeah um, and yeah, I mean, ultimately communication, like being clear about what you want, mm -hmm. what you would like to do is, is, is really important. Um, you can just you can just reach out and say hello, though, you know, it might not even be with a project in mind. You can just say, oh, I'm thinking about maybe exploring this medium alongside my photography yeah. at some stage. What do you think? Mm -hmm. And um, everyone's obviously completely different. Some people will be, be super keen to 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 develop that new relationship or some people will probably will possibly sorry not probably some people will possibly just ignore you that's <laughs> kind of like that's just one of the things that we again normal. we're all probably quite used to i think like i think we're all used to probably something like a 25 percent response rate in terms of um outreach would you yeah. say that's fair yeah no 100 percent. that's totally true yeah um, um so yeah i think yeah. i think um Bear in mind that if it's a cinematographer, cinematographer that you're approaching, yeah. they probably won't want to edit or color grade as well. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so if it's a project that you're looking to hire people for, that you might have to budget for um, a cinematographer and an editor and a colorist. Yeah. Um, or it could just be like if you just want to work with an individual, then maybe the the videographer route is a good route to go down. Yeah. Cool. And then in terms of things like on the actual day, because we've done the first two, first three actually projects that we did together, we ended up just using natural light because mm-hmm. there's obviously the issue that if you're a photographer shooting with flash, um, the cinematographer cannot use flash. <laughs> <laughs> so we, none other than this weekend we've just done, have we seen how difficult it actually can be to make that work um, depending on what you're doing. It just involves a lot more thinking and planning around, okay, how are we going to make this work for both people? Because suddenly you've got two people to think about and two probably different requirements to think about. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I'm asking a question or if I'm just bringing up a point, but... Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a super valid point. I think combining stills and motion on a shoot um, is a tricky thing to do. Mm. Um they, like a lot of people think that it's one and the same <laughs> and there are a lot of things that are obviously like there's shared shared um technical requirements or whatever mm-hmm. but um i mean let's say for example like i'm sure well i know you shoot a lot of portrait 400 <laughs> um film stock yeah so that's iso 400 and um, my cinema camera or most cinema cameras shoot with an iso between um 800 and even 2000 mm-hmm. and if you're bringing like if you're bringing in uh, we almost shot some um 16 mil film on the shoot we were going to do <laughs> the weekend there and my film was tungsten balanced yeah and yours was daylight balanced so there, there are all these kind of little things so i think again it's just like how deep can you get on your planning like <laughs> how much can you really like have those conversations and just dive as deep as you can into like let's just, think of as many things that mm, could go wrong yeah. um and the have more it. you communicate the more likely you are to, to not have these things come up but something will always come up there's always going to be some kind yeah. of like technical issue to to overcome but yeah. i think with the com- combined knowledge of of and um, let's say photographer cinematographer even assistants yeah. sometimes are able to chip in where we're there's a gap in your knowledge. 100%. We had a fantastic um, assistant on our shoot last weekend. Yeah, she was amazing. She was amazing, super helpful, full of ideas, really eager to help. So, you know, don't just because you're the photographer in charge doesn't mean you have to know every single thing. Like, I think that I definitely put pressure on myself to be the one that knows everything. And yeah. that's not possible. Like, I can't know totally. everything. Um, so it's, yeah, collaboration, having a good WhatsApp group. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. I mean, again, it just goes back to the power of collaboration. Like it's absolutely impossible for everyone to know everything. Mm -hmm. So what, like, that's where the power of the delegation comes in, like to be able to ask, well, there's this person on set who's really great at lighting. There's Mm -hmm. this person who's on set that's really great at camera movement. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's. It's definitely the way to go. (laughs) (laughs) If there was a photographer listening who wanted to start making their own videos, movies, films, um, 
what would you say they should do? Because I did think about it for a while. I was like, oh, do I want to start making my own moving image? But ultimately I like stills. So I've never really gone down that rabbit hole because it is such Mm -hmm. a different (laughs) kettle of fish. But what would you recommend someone who wants to learn? What could they go and do? I mean, I think both approaches, like to, to just crack on and do it yourself or to work with others mm-hmm. to help you deliver a video is both are valid approaches. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, essentially, I started out self-shooting. I would say it was quite a slow process mm-hmm. for me to get to where I felt like I was competent. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, for sure, both, both approaches are valid. If you're going to do it yourself, the things to think about are... Um, camera stabilization is a big thing usually I would say it's smart to start with using a tripod Mm -hmm. Um, but then when it comes to motion I mean the key is the key is in that word itself motion (laughs) like you want to move the camera you want to have the like if it's fashion you want to have the model moving yeah Um, so you've got to think about those kind of elements and planning again obviously we'll say this like millions and millions of times <laughs> just how much can you plan if you can make a storyboard yeah. and put the frames next to each other like how you want the edit to 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 feel yeah and um, how you want the, the shot sequences to work that's going to help you a lot you can even level that up and, and yeah. scan your your storyboards and put them into a sequence on adobe premiere or whatever mm. and like time that with music and see how that feels mm-hmm. um if you think that's going to make an engaging edit, um, yeah. So knowing shot sizes is important. Like, you want to get a variety of perspectives when you're building image sequences. Like, mm-hmm. to get some wide shots, get some mid shots, yeah. close ups, extreme close ups, or detail shots. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think especially when you're starting out, I mean, the, the more you progress in your career, you you will kind of know what you need for yeah. an edit to make it work. But when you're starting out, I think it's really important to experiment, like get get things that you that you don't know if they'll work or not, and try them and see how that see how that fits. But um, yeah, you can test as well. You can you can um, if you've got a partner at home, you can shoot them <laughs> if they're willing. <laughs> if they're willing, yeah, they're not always willing. <laughs> or if you've got a dog like Milo, you can shoot him. Exactly. Yeah, he he loves it. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think it's it's definitely down to the individual. I think yeah. um, a lot of photographers progress really well into the sort of directing space, mm-hmm. and some progress more into the sort of like self shooting space. It yeah. really just depends on the person. Yeah, um, I I've definitely yeah. d- decided I'm prop- prop- properly going down the director route because yeah, it I am like we said I love coming up with the ideas I love making them happen and I get I get such clear visions in my head of what I'm looking for so being able to tell someone else what I would like to see and then have them create that for me is like the dream so yeah that's what I'm going to be doing yeah I think I think you've kind of like bridged that gap quite effectively so far I I didn't realize I was doing it (laughs) yeah yeah um Obviously, there's there's always like progress to, to make and yeah. and more things to learn. But um, no, I think it's a pretty exciting start. Mm. Yeah, it's awesome. So, if anyone wants to see your work and potentially get in touch with you, maybe they want to ask you to work 
for them, with them? Um, where can they find you? So my website is FraserStephen.com mm-hmm. and um, yeah, all my socials are on there, I think. Mm-hmm. I'll double check when I, when I come off this. But um, my Instagram's at FraserJS underscore. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if anyone has anything they want to ask, even just like questions about the things we've discussed, I'm happy to respond to emails. Um, my email is FraserJStephen at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And I think that pretty much covers it. Yeah, probably. I will yeah. put everything in the uh, show notes anyway, so everyone can like really easily click and come and find you. Cool. Thank you so much. That was so much fun. Yeah, it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of It Starts With A Click. If you enjoyed listening to it, come and let me know over on Instagram. My handle is at Olivia Bossert Education. I would love to hear from you. If you think you have a friend who would like to listen to this podcast as well, I would really appreciate you sharing it with them. Referrals are the best way the podcast gets more listeners, so I would be eternally grateful to you if you could do that. If you want to continue to learn with me, my website is oliviabossarteducation.com where I've got loads of freebies, blog posts, you can download a free pitching template, and I've even got a free online workshop as well. If you have any ideas of topics you'd like me to cover or anyone you think I should interview, feel free to send me an email or just a DM on Instagram. My email address is info at oliviabossert.com and my Instagram handle, like I said earlier, is at Education. I will see you in the next episode. Bye!